<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Thursday, March 30, 2023. It's about five minutes after three o'clock in the afternoon here on the East Coast of the United States. Scott Ritter returns to our camera. Scott, it's always a pleasure. Fan favorite. Everyone um, appreciates your accommodating us. Uh, let's start with breaking news. Uh, just about 15 minutes ago, uh, Admiral Kirby, you can tell us if this is credible or not, uh, John Kirby, the spokesperson for the uh, White House National Security Council, announced that Russia is so uh, running short on ammunition that it's seeking to buy it or barter it uh, from North Korea. Credible? And if so, what's the significance? not credible at all. Uh, this is the same trope that uh, Kirby's been peddling for some time now. This isn't the first time he's gone public with this information. He um, he was trying to sell us on the uh, Russia short of ammunition. Uh, they're buying it from Korea about a month ago, um, and they're 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 resurrecting today because let me tell you what's happening right now, Judge. The Ukrainian army is being crushed, destroyed, annihilated in Bakhmut. 80,000 Ukrainian soldiers are either going to be killed, captured, or wounded, or dispersed in the very short future. And the United States can't handle the ramifications of this defeat. So they are trying to create a distraction. And that's what this is, a distraction. Russia doesn't need North Korean ammunition. John Kirby's smoking dope. And uh, he, he would, you know, this is a man who's gone before the American people repeatedly right. Right, right. You, you, you recall the uh, tape that we uh, ran uh, in which he predicted that President Xi would uh, suggest a ceasefire and said the United States would reject it uh, for reasons, of course, uh, that are absurd. But Scott, what, what does the U.S. gain by um, putting out this propaganda that is almost could be called garbage? It doesn't have any effect on the battlefield. No, what they're looking for, um, you know, the United States and, and Ukraine are in desperation mode right now. Uh, they're, what they're looking for is sort of a, you know, if you go back into, uh, you know, history um, when the Red Army was on the verge of capturing Warsaw back in 1921. There was the miracle of Vistula where the heavens opened up, the winged hussar came down and they drove the Red Army away. That's what they're looking for today. The modern day equivalent of the miracle on the Vistula for the heavens to open up in some to happen. What they want to happen is what they call the Moscow Maidan. They're trying to generate resentment, fear, uh, anxiety inside Russian society so that it will rise up and, um, and bring it into this conflict by overthrowing Vladimir Putin. And so they're doing that by belittling Russian defense industry, by belittling the Russian army, by creating a sense of weakness, an impression of weakness. Um, it's an act of desperation. This is just proof positive that no one in the National Security Council understands the domestic reality in Russia today, where the Russian public has 
uh, rallied around their leader in a way any American president would be jealous of. Uh, let me show you a tape of uh, a spokesperson for the administration who's an even less believable liar than, <laughs> than Admiral uh, Kirby, and that's uh, former four-star general, now Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. Here he is being interrogated by Senator Roger Wicker, who's in, in a very low, soft-stated way pointing out that what the secretary is saying, saying is not believable, gives him a chance to correct himself. And, well, you'll see what happens. With regard to your optimism about Ukraine having the upper hand, that is what you told me yesterday. It, it is. And I, what I was about to say, Senator, is that Ukrainians have inflicted significant casualties on the Russians, and they have depleted their inventory of armored vehicles in a way that no one would have ever imagined. And so now we see Russia reaching for T-54s and T-55 tanks because of the level of damage that the Ukrainians have inflicted on them. Reaching for those tanks demonstrates what to you, sir? It demonstrates that their capability is waning. We've continued uh, to witness uh, them be challenged with uh, artillery munitions and other things, and they're reaching out to Iran, to North Korea. Do, do you believe there's a real chance for significant Ukrainian advancements between now and the beginning of winter? I believe there's a chance, and we're doing everything that we can do to uh, ensure that they have their best opportunity to be successful. Has he just disqualified himself from being any kind of a credible military leader, or was he disqualified before this nonsense? I'm not going to denigrate anybody who achieves four-star rank. Um, it's, uh, it's an accomplishment, and um, you know, and so you know, General Austin, uh, that that needs to be respected. But um, transition he's made from serving his country on active duty to serving the military-industrial complex. Because remember, uh, before he became Secretary of Defense, he was a Raytheon official. Um, right. His loyalties are no longer with the Army. His loyalties are to the military-industrial complex, and his loyalties are to an administration that put him in this position. He's parroting what they are saying to deceive Congress. He's lying through his teeth, straight-up lying. And I'm just telling you right now, Lloyd Austin, I'm calling you a liar. If you want to debate me on it, anytime, anywhere, you name it in front of whatever audience you want. You're a liar and you know you're lying. Um, but that's OK. He works for a president. I just want to remind your audience in July of 2021, before Kabul fell, President Joe Biden got on the phone with the Afghan General uh, President uh, Ashraf Ghani and told him to lie to the Afghan people. The, pre the Afghan president was saying it's falling. Taliban's coming in. Biden said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Get on. Tell them everything's OK even if it's not true. Biden's about shaping perception. That's what Austin was trying to do there, shape perception. Reality is ready to come up and bite him in the butt. The reality is that the Ukrainians are losing, the Russians are winning. There is no shortage of, uh, of um, artillery. There is no shortage of tanks. Uh, this man is just straight up manufacturing nonsense. What is the uh, significance, if any, long-term to the uh, impending uh, Russian victory in Bakhmut. We know it's sort of in a strategic position there, uh, but what happens next? Well, when the Ukrainians have 80,000 troops ripped out of their uh, order of battle and a giant hole ripped into their line, uh, it means the collapse of the Iranian defensive position. Uh, President Zelensky has warned about this. He says one of the reasons why he's fighting so hard for Bakhmut is that if Bakhmut falls, the Russians will rapidly advance and 
we capture the totality of the Donbass. The Donetsk, they'll move down, take Zaporizhia, Kherson, consolidate their position in all of the territories that Russia claims as its own. And then most recently, he said that then the Ukrainian people will see us as so weak that they will demand that I sit down with the Russians and I negotiate an unacceptable peace treaty. To him, unacceptable means that he has to concede that Russia controls all this, all the territory that Russia claims as his own. That's that's what's going on here. We're looking at the strategic defeat of Ukraine and with it, the strategic, strategic defeat of the United States and NATO. I want the American people to reflect, if you allow me to judge, two quick points. Sure. One, we gave Ukraine $50 billion worth of military equipment. Lloyd Austin's Pentagon has now come back to the United States Congress and said, in order to replace that 50 billion, we need $300 billion. There's something wrong with that math. Two, Mark Miley has recently testified to the United States Congress that when Russia wins, we're no longer talking about if, when Russia wins. This is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. When Russia wins, we are going to have to double our defense budget to offset the Russian advantages that will Ooh. accrue. That goes from 880, close to $900 billion, which is already way too much. $1.8 trillion, ladies and gentlemen, is what the Pentagon's now saying. So when you ask yourself, why did we get involved in this war? Because we've gotten beat on every front. And now they're getting ready to destroy us economically by bankrupting us to rebuild a military that didn't need to be diminished the way it was because we went off and engaged in this irresponsible act of militarism in Ukraine. I want to take you back to uh, the significance of Bakhmut. President Zelensky two days ago gave a rather candid interview on a train uh, with an American journalist. I don't know who she is. I don't recognize her. And they didn't even give us the name of the uh, network for which uh, she works. But he speaks in, in his English. She speaks in English. Take a listen to what he says about the PR significance, the public relations significance of which side prevails in Bakhmut. Is this part of why you are fighting so hard in Bakhmut? Because a lot of military analysts will say that strategically it's not that significant. Because that will be victory for him. He will in any victory. Yes, he will sell this victory. He will sell this victory to West, to his society, to China, to Iran, to all the countries, to Brazil, to Latin America countries, not to Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia. Of course, they really understand, you know, from, from details and they feel this dangerous because they are they, they neighbors. So, and, but he will sell it to his society. What, that was the first step. Now, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I will, I will have decision with Ukraine. Then another step. Another step, another step. Does the Z-Man know what he's talking about? Well, I mean, he's trying to spin it. First of all, you don't have to sell victory, Zelensky. <laughs> I mean, if you if you won every now and then, you know how it was, Mr. Zelensky, when your troops uh, took back Kherson in, in, in Kharkov back in September, there was no selling. People weren't saying, ah, we don't think you really are winning. You went there. You took your selfie in front of the Izium uh, statue. It was the easiest sales pitch in the world because it was reality-based. Vladimir Putin's about ready to have a reality-based sales pitch called I Trust Your Military in Bakhmut, and Zelensky's panicked because he knows 
that when the Russians come out, see, right now people are still confused. They, because Lloyd Austin testifies for the Congress about how things are going bad for Russia, et cetera. So people are confused. But when the Russians roll through Bakhmut, when you have 80,000 Ukrainian casualties, when you have Russian tanks advancing and there's nothing that can stop them, that's not a sales pitch. That's called winning. No, victory sells itself. The only thing he would need to spin is, is, a, is a defeat. Um, I think the Marine Corps is still part of the Navy, isn't it? They're under the Department of the Navy, yes, sir. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to run a clip. This is uh, Nora O'Donnell from CBS News from 60 Minutes interviewing a four-star, Admiral Samuel Paparo. Now we're moving from Ukraine to Taiwan. Admiral Paparo, as you know, you probably know him uh, personally, uh, is, I don't know the rank other than four stars, but he's in charge of the Pacific Fleet. So he's got a, a humongous uh, sense of responsibility. Here he is. Uh, we have a couple of clips. The first one, she asks him about whether he talks to his Chinese counterpart. If the U.S. and Chinese militaries can't communicate over a Chinese spy balloon, then what's going to happen when there's a real crisis in the South China Sea or with Taiwan? We'll hope that they'll answer the phone. Else, we'll do our very best assessment based on the things that they say in open source and based on their behavior to divine their intentions and we'll act accordingly. Doesn't that make the situation even more dangerous if U.S. and Chinese militaries are not talking? Yes. Okay, before you uh, give us your views on the substance of what he said, should an active duty four-star with tens of thousands of troops under his command and billions of dollars worth of ships under his command uh, be giving uh, an interview to a national news organization on camera like that? I respect Admiral Papero enough to say that uh, he didn't do that interview without getting it cleared with his uh, with, with the Pentagon first. Uh, look, he is he is the uh, com combat uh, combatant commander of one of the most important theaters of operations in the United States. That's Pacific Theater. He's, this is a big deal. He's a big man. He has a lot of power, a lot of influence, um, and he knows that he would have been picked for that job if he was somebody who uh, you know was just bumbling along. He's not the kind of guy that's going to go out and get an interview of this high profile without first clearing it with the Pentagon and indeed the White House, the National Security Council. Every message he gave during this uh, presentation was a message that the White House wanted him to impart on the American public and the Chinese. This was an act of diplomacy that took place here. He is sending a signal to the Chinese communicating basically his um, his unease at the fact that they're, they're not communicating and trying to, to uh, uh, let them know that there is some consequences for this failure to uh, to communicate. Is it believable that there's no uh, back channel communications going on between an admiral of this uh, rank and and his counterpart in the Chinese Navy? And he's in Guam. The interview takes uh, takes place in Guam, so he's way out there. <laughs> it's well, not like his, his, his headquarters is in Hawaii. Actually, pretty nice headquarters. Um, but so he he's just visiting Guam right now. Um, it's not the position of the Admiral to have back-channel communications. That's beyond his remit. Um, I believe there are back-channel communications that are probably made run by William Burns, the CIA director, probably operated out of the National Security Council. 
um, maybe even from the White House itself, that there that there are back channel community, at least attempts to do so. But China's dismissive of the United States altogether. You know, Biden can't get Z to answer the phone. So if the president of the United States can't get, you know, the Chinese leader to answer the phone, don't be surprised that the commander of the Pacific fleet can't get his counterpart to answer the phone. Hopefully there's uh, there's something going on akin to what we saw in the Cuban Missile Crisis where you know John F. Kennedy or had a back channel opened up with Nikita Khrushchev that was kept out of the limelight. The fact that you that you and I don't know about it hopefully means that it's happening. It's All happening right. successfully. All right. Here, here he is discussing the, his belief that the United States Navy will neutralize the Chinese Navy if the Chinese Navy threatens Taiwan. Is it your hope that the power of the U.S. Navy, the force posture of the U.S. Navy, will deter a Chinese invasion of Taiwan? It's not my hope, it's my duty, in conjunction with allies and partners, to deliver intolerable costs to anybody that would upend the order in violation of the nation's security or in violation of the nation's interests. The saying, which is, si pacem parabellum, which is, if you want peace, prepare for war. That, of course, goes back to George Washington, who said it in English rather than in Latin, if you want peace to prepare for war. So, again, before you analyze uh, exactly uh, what he said, if the president of the United States tells him to attack the Chinese Navy and keep them X miles away from Taiwan, he has no choice but to do that, right? Yes, sir. That, that he's a military combatant commander. He obeys the lawful orders given to him by the civilian, uh, competent civilian authority. That even if the orders are absurd and suicidal, he has no choice. Oh no! Once the order is given, you execute. He has a duty and responsibility, however, prior to that order being given, to make sure that his commanders know that the order is suicidal, that he can't carry out the order, uh, etc. But here's the problem: while he may be, and hopefully he is communicating this behind the scenes to the Pentagon and to the White House to say, you guys need to stop writing checks with your mouths, the fleet can't cash. Um, his duty, though, is to portray strength. That's his duty. So that's what he's doing right there. And I'll tell you, the, the fact that he's having this conversation right now is proof positive that he's as weak as you can be. Because oh. strong people don't have to have this kind of posture. What, what, is the, what is the force balance, if I'm using the right word, Scott, uh, between the American Navy and the South China Sea and the, and the Chinese Navy. Well, remember, we're operating off of what I call legacy force structure. That's what General Berger, the commandant of the Marine Corps, called the old Marine amphibious way of doing business. Legacy, dating from World War II. Um, the modern weaponry today, standoff missiles, don't allow this to happen. The Navy has not adapted. The Navy continues to live around the carrier battle group. If you saw on his chest... He's a naval aviator. He's a man who made his career landing and taking off. He is maverick. Um, and so, you know, this is a guy who believes in this legacy structure. And so, you know, he's probably the wrong guy to be in this position right now because he actually probably thinks the carrier battle groups do of power pro projection in a credible way. The reality is every single one of his aircraft carriers is going to be visiting Jamie Jones' locker. That means at the bottom of the sea uh, if we go to war against China. So, so if, back to my question, the Chinese Navy is stronger than ours in that part of the world. 
I wouldn't say the Chinese Navy. This isn't going to be a Navy on Navy engagement. It's not going to be the modern day manifestation of the Battle of Trafalgar or Coral Sea or Midway. Okay, the Chinese will use missiles to destroy our naval equipment before it gets anywhere near Taiwan. 100%. Here here he is again about how prepared, and I guess he has to say this is what you're telling us, but here he is again on how prepared his Navy is. So are Chinese warships now operating closer to Taiwan after Nancy Pelosi's visit? Yes. And if China invades Taiwan, what will the U.S. Navy do? It's a decision of the president of the United States and a decision of the Congress. It's our duty to be ready for that. But the bulk of the United States Navy will be deployed rapidly to the Western Pacific to come to the aid of Taiwan if the order comes to aid Taiwan in thwarting that invasion. Is the U.S. Navy ready? We're ready, yes. Uh, I'll never admit to being ready enough. Will the U.S. Navy make it to the Western Pacific in light of the uh, air onslaught that will visit be visited upon them? No. What, General, what the Admiral is going to find out is what uh, General Cavoli found out in the commander of U.S. forces in, uh, in Europe. Um, you know, before uh, General Cavoli, was Ben Hodges. He was the commander there. Ben Hodges was cocky. He said the same. He was this version of the Admiral. We're prepared to do this. Our duty to be prepared. We're ready for it. But he couldn't imagine the scope and scale of the violence that's taking place. General Cavoli's there. He's seen it. He says, we're not ready for what's going on in Ukraine. Admiral, pro tip. If I were your intelligence officer, I would tell you the following. Every single one of your ships is going to be sunk because you cannot imagine the level of violence that's going to be inflicted on your fleet as you try to impose legacy-style operations dating back to the Second World War on a modern threat model. All right, here's his boss. Here's the CNO, the Chief uh, Naval Officer, Admiral Mike Gilday, acknowledging that we can't keep up with the Chinese, but he's talking about ships, which may not be an accurate measure because you told us those ships are going to be destroyed by missiles. But it's a couple of questions. It's a Q&A. It's a different environment. The same questioner, Nora O'Donnell from CBS. Take a listen, Scott. Admiral Mike Gilday at the Pentagon. He is the chief of naval operations and is responsible for building, maintaining, and equipping the entire U.S. Navy. Is the Navy in crisis? No. The Navy's not in crisis. The Navy is out on point every single day. Is it being outpaced by China? No. Toshi Yoshihara of the Center for Strategic and Budgetary Assessments may know more than any scholar in the West about China's Navy. Why is China able to build more warships more quickly than the U.S.? China has clearly invested in this defense industrial infrastructure to produce these ships, which allows them to produce multiple ships simultaneously, essentially outbuilding many of the Western navies combined. After the Cold War ended, the shipbuilding industry consolidated, and many of the yards where ships were both built and maintained closed down. What do you see when you see China's shipbuilding program? It's very robust. Do we have enough shipyards? No. I wish that we had more commercial shipyards. Over my career, we've gone from more than 30 shipyards down to about seven that we rely upon on a day-to-day basis to build ships. Shipyards, something we should be concerned about? And is he being truthful? He's being truthful about the shipyards. Um, I'm not going to accuse any admiral of straight up lying. 
Um, they believe what they believe, and in their position, sometimes they have to posture, and that's a that's you know you have to exude confidence. You're not a leader if it, you get in front of a camera and you say things that make the men and women under you go, "Wow, we begin to doubt this." So he has to exude confidence, but he has to be realistic. I, you know, one thing that Norris should have asked is how many miles his uh, his fleets will have to sail to get to Taiwan, and what kind of ships that requires to have a blue a blue a, a blue you know blue blue water navy. And how many miles the Chinese have to sail to get to Taiwan? The Chinese, Taiwan's in their backyard, different, completely different kind of Navy, different kind of ships, et cetera. That's the game changer right there. We have to move forever to get to Taiwan. It's right there in their backyard. They're going to kick our butts. Is anybody in Joe Biden's orbit, CIA, a National Security Council, the Pentagon, even the political people that he's closest to going to make the argument that you've just made and give him the lesson you've just given us. It doesn't matter how many ships you own or send there. You're sending them to their graves. Look, I'll tell you this, the commandant of the Marine Corps, uh, General Berger, when he took over, he reviewed everything and he said, we're, we're lying to our leaders because they, they're telling us to be prepared to do certain things that we can't do because we're married to legacy form, you know, organizations, ships, big ships with lots of Marines on them. So that's stupid because they'll be sunk before they get to, to the amphibious assault. He had courage, moral courage, and he is transforming the Marine Corps to meet the modern needs. The Navy, on the other hand, can't. Why? Again, look what was on his ship. He's a surface warfare officer. He's made his life in the Navy with the ships. He he can't divorce himself from that. Same thing as the pilot, the, uh, the 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 you know the modern day maverick. He can't divorce himself from that. And so as a result, these guys when they go forward, it's not that they're lying, but they're projecting an artificially enhanced sense of capability that somebody who can step back and evaluate things says, guys, that isn't going to work. You're all going to die, and that's the sad fact. The Navy will be sunk if they tried to sail to the assistance of Taiwan. Scott Ritter, so grateful for uh, your comments and for your analysis. Thank you very much, my dear friend. Thanks for having me on, sir. If you like what you've seen, like and subscribe. More as we get it, although there's nobody quite like Ritter. More as we get it. Judge Napolitano for judging freedom.